Now, we ended last time as we looked at a period of time called the 70th week of Daniel. In that time, Michael, Daniel 12, 1, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, Israel, will Ahmad. He will arise, literally can mean to stand still. And there will be a time of distress, Daniel 12, 1, such as has never occurred since there was a nation. Here the nation is the nation of Israel until that time. And of course, at this time uh, in history, Israel's been through a ton of stuff, much ahead in terms of Daniel's time that Israel would go through. But since there was a nation until that time, and at that time, your people, the people of Israel, everyone who is found written in the book, and I take that as the book of life, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground, here's the resurrection, will awake. So this is how we know it's the end of time. We know that the, the resurrection and the rapture take place at the second coming of Jesus. So if you ever had a question about that, when does the resurrection take place? When does the rapture take place? When Jesus comes. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We're to comfort one another with these words. So this is the, certainly the end of the age. The end of time is the context that we have here just preceding the thousand-year reign of Christ, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. They will resurrect these to everlasting life. Some will enter a resurrection of life, but others to disgrace and, note it, everlasting contempt. There's a resurrection of the righteous to life and a resurrection of the unrighteous to death, to everlasting contempt. And those who have insight, Daniel 12, 3, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness, and this may have a last day's context, that is, those who stand for the faith, those who do great exploits in the name of their God, those who warn people not to take the mark, uh, could be a possibility here. Those who are preaching the gospel, uh, they will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Those who lead the many to righteousness will shine, notice, like the stars forever and ever. Now that's where we left off last time. And now the angel says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until when? Until the end of time or the time of the end. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. So now, the Bible says, as for you, Daniel. There's going to be these people who shine. I think Daniel will be one of the stars that shine forever and ever, showing forth the character of God. But as for you, Daniel, at this time, you are to conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. There is going to be an end of time. There is going to be an end of the age. The world will not go on forever as it has been. Sunrise and sunset and so forth. There's going to be a time when Jesus intervenes, just like when he came on that starry Bethlehem night. There's going to be a time in our future when the Son of God will be revealed. And I believe it's going to be in a darkened sky, and I believe 
The Bible teaches that all the angels are coming with him, and it's going to be a radical uh, invasion, if you will, of the Son of God into the planet, like a light show like you've never seen before. He's going to light up the sky. His entrance is going to be so much that it'll be like the lightning that flashes from the east to the west. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Every eye will see him, Revelation 1-7. And the tribes of the earth will mourn. Jesus is coming again. This is what the Bible says. So people get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. I don't know when it's going to be. No, I can't sing like Crystal Lewis. Some of you don't even know that song, but that's all right. Notice in verse 4, but Daniel's told, as for you. Would you note that? Because for Daniel, he was not going to be alive to see the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I've got news for you. Only one generation is going to be alive at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it may not be you either. Now it may be you, but it may not be you. So what are we to do? Well, we have to apply as for you. You know, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there is going to be an as for you. In fact, Every generation that may have anticipated the second coming of Jesus Christ and didn't experience it in their lifetime, this would apply to them. As for you, you have to live your life. Uh, the, I don't remember who the uh, father, founding father was, but it was a time of war, and the daughter said to one of our founding fathers, is this the end of the world? And he said, I don't know. But you need to live your life as though it's not. And you know, we've had many generations that have been excited about the prospects of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we should always live in the light of the second coming. But we also need to also, <laughs> that's a bit redundant, also need to also. We need to live our lives. Because if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, what should we be doing? Leading many to righteousness. Because all of you are going to experience what I would call a personal eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the last things or the end times or the last days. And should Jesus tarry, should he not come back in our lifetime, you're going to experience a personal eschatology. That is, the death rate is quite impressive. <laughs> I don't have to remind you, but here it is. One out of every one of us is going to die if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime. And so we're going to have a personal eschatology to wrestle with. That is, as for you. See, one day you're going to stand before the risen Lord, and it's going to be as for you. That is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the gifts that, I've, that I gave you? How did you redeem your lifetime? That's really what we're talking about. Daniel was not going to see the second coming. He was not going to see, really, all these prophesied events were future to his own lifetime. Even, even Antiochus Epiphanes that we have learned about, who was a type of the Antichrist, who would come in the second century B.C., Daniel would never see him either. So there is an as for you. 
and it's something that you need to score or underscore. This is a personal question. There's always an application as for you. Ezekiel 33, 7, Ezekiel's told, As for you, son of man, I've appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them a warning from me. When uh, the John summing up the gospel of John, Peter uh, turns to the Lord and says, What about this man? And he's asking about John the Apostle. What about him? And Jesus says, in essence, you don't worry about him. You follow me. If I want to keep John here until I come again, that's my business. You follow me. And so the question is, as for you, what does God have for you? What does he want you to be doing with your time, with your talent, with your treasure? And so notice it says, as for you, close up or shut up the words, seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, end of verse 4, and knowledge will increase. Now there's been some commentaries written on the book of Daniel that believe that Daniel's talking about the increase in knowledge and travel. And so it's kind of something like this. Over the last hundred years plus, we've had the invention of the automobile, we've had the invention of airplanes, we've had the invention of all kinds of technology. In fact, about the last hundred years, wouldn't you say exponentially, uh, technology has is, is just gone o- almost like crazy. You know, now we have, uh, what are those things that you can do flyovers now with? What are those things? What are they? Drones. If you see one of those over your house, you might want to move. But anyway, <laughs> right, we have all this technology now where even warfare can be fought from an office, you know, with, with drones and that kind of thing. Is that what it's talking about? Well, notice it says that knowledge will increase. Certainly, I believe that you could say Technological knowledge is increased, but I'm not sure that we're any smarter than Daniel's generation. In fact, in some ways, you might argue we're dumber. Wouldn't you agree? For example, the reading of books these days, like people spending time really thinking about deep subjects, is, is fairly gone now. And we, we get enter, entertained with, you know, television and movies and whatever else we've got in front of us. I'm not sure that we are any smarter. So what is many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase? Well, going back and forth here, most modern commentators believe that going back and forth has to do with the search of knowledge, but going to and fro or back and forth could be something like this. It could be going back and forth on the pages of Scripture. And so it may well be that the knowledge that's going to increase in the last days, see, Daniel's told to seal up the book until the end of time, but there's going to be generations to follow that will look at this prophecy and they, their knowledge of, of what it says will increase. You might say, well, is that a bit egotistical? I don't think so, because Daniel didn't have, for example, the New Testament. You do. Daniel did not have the book of Revelation. You do. Daniel's penning the book of Daniel right now. He did not have the Revelation. He did not have the full 66 books of the Bible. You do. 
Daniel has not seen the return of Israel to the land, at least in 1948, and capturing Jerusalem in 1967, you have. In fact, I would tell you that uh, even commentators prior to 1948, before Israel became a nation, many commentators were trying to spiritualize a lot of this stuff because they couldn't see how it could happen because Israel wasn't even back in the land. How could there be a rebuilt temple? How could there be an Antichrist going into the temple, proclaiming himself to be God? There's no temple. They're not even in the land. So knowledge has increased. We've been given more. And to much is given, much is required. And so in our generation, we have, we have a lot of prophecy experts. We have prophecy conferences. We have all this stuff that goes on. And knowledge of the prophetic end times eschatology study, like a formal study of eschatology, which is a study of the last days, really has come into vogue, you know, more recently. It's not something that was always there in a formal teaching where you could go maybe into a classroom and study the end times, but now you can't. Uh, I'm amazed at how much is available at our fingertips and resources uh, to, to, as in study tools. When I first started preaching, I had you know, the college uh, notebook paper, and I would even write my cross-references by hand because I didn't have a Bible program. I didn't have the, you know, some of you just go to the Blue Letter Bible. Now you can look at Hebrew and Greek. Well, years ago, if you wanted to look at Hebrew and Greek, you had something called the Strong's Concordance. How many of you remember the Strong's Concordance? It was a book about that thick. <laughs> and what you did is you had to look up the Strong's number to match the word that you were trying to figure out. And the type was so small in this book that people who didn't even need readers needed readers. That's how you did it. But now, you can look up Hebrew and Greek words. You, can, you have these you know, parallel versions of the Bible where you can look at multiple versions. You can have a, a Greek you know, version of the Bible right next to the English. There's all kinds of stuff available at your fingertips. And so, you could say that the knowledge here has increased. That is, of understanding these prophecies. So the original document, uh, Daniel is instructed to shut up or seal up the words until the end, verse 4. Frank Gabeline's comments are most helpful. He says, in the ancient Near East, important documents such as contracts, promissory notes, deeds of conveyance were written out in duplicate. The original document was kept in a secure repository safe closed up from uh, later tampering in order to conserve the interests and rights of all parties in the transaction. Ryrie, making the following comment on this verse, says this. He says, Not that its meaning was to be left unexplained, but that the book was to be kept intact so as to help those living in the future or in Daniel's 70th week or at the end of time. Even Daniel didn't understand these things as we'll see. The new annotated study Bible comes closer to the truth, says one author, when it comments on the text in this way. It was impossible to understand the significance of these prophecies in Daniel's own day. But God indicated that at the time of the end, many would seek to understand these predictions and to be able to do so. The command to Daniel to shut up the words referring to his book meant to keep it safe for the appropriate time. 
You all know that the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in Israel, and documents were preserved for, uh, what, a thousand years or more, and it allowed us to tap into documents that were preserved. And so maybe that kind of idea is here. So running to and fro in Hebrew has the idea of a person searching for something, and that is searching for knowledge. And uh, imagine if you were to enter into these times and uh, let's say that your pastor was going through Philippians. And let's just say that you started to see some signs of the end, like uh, maybe an Antichrist figure. Would you tell your pastor, hey, pastor, we might want to redirect and study the book of Daniel. Amen? We might want to redirect and study Revelation because we have access to these prophecies. And this could and would and will become a guidebook for a generation to come because they'll be able to read it and know how to navigate the times. It will become all important to someone who may be facing these times. And we know there's certain Jewish people that are going to face these times and possibly even uh, the saints. And so that's where this is going to be huge. So many will go to and fro, back and forth. Knowledge will increase. I pray that that's true of us, that our eyes are going to and fro on the scriptures, that we're drinking in the word of God as much as possible. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others, these are angels, were standing, verse 5, one on this bank of the river, this is the Tigris we saw earlier in chapter 10, and the other on the bank of the river, so they're each on opposite shores. And the one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, he's a third person here now, person in quotes, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? The angel didn't even know. The angel says to the one dressed in linen, okay, well, how long will it be? I mean, that is the crucial question, right? If this is what's going to happen, how long will it be till the end? What's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And this man dressed in linen who's above the waters seems to have the answers. The angels don't even know the time of all of this, but the one dressed in linen does. He's above the river, the Tigris here, and angels are on opposite shores. And it makes me think of, and take this for what it's worth, it makes me think of the Ark of the Covenant. Because in the Ark of the Covenant, the, the chest that held the Ten Commandments, that was uh, Moses was given instructions to build it. Remember, if you saw Indiana Jones, you've seen it before. You have the angel's wings touching over the box. And above the angel's wings is called the mercy seat. So you have two angels on two opposite sides of the river, and this man dressed in linen, which we've identified, we believe is Jesus, above the two angels. And Jesus Christ, according to Romans 3.25, is our mercy seat. He's above the river, above the issues of life. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming again and he will judge the world. And just like he was over the river the Nile, if you will. He was over the sea, the Red Sea. So he is over the Tigris. He's over the nations of the world. All the nations are like a drop in the bucket to him. He, he is God 
over everything. Maybe that's the message here. But it also points, I believe, to his deity. Daniel is still observing the scene by the side of the river. You can write down chapter 10, verse 4. And so one angel says to the one dressed in linen, How long? How long will it be until the end of these wonders, these things that occur? This is Psalm 80, verses 1 through 3. It says, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, thou who does lead Joseph like a flock, thou who art enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your power and come to save us. O God, restore us and cause thy face to shine upon us and we will be saved. The message, the Lord is over the waters. The Lord is over the seas. The Lord is over the peoples. The Lord is over your problems. The Lord is over everything. And we have a God of mercy. We have the mercy seat. And he's going to intervene. And he's going to save his people again. He saved them out of the land of Egypt. He's rescued them out of multiple dangers. And he will do it again. I'll see you do it again. Verse 7. And I heard the man dressed in linen. We believe this is Jesus now who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever that it would be, the question, how long? The answer, for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know that that's what? Three and a half years. 1260 days now we get the answer how long is this going to be how long is this going to go on it's going to happen for three and a half years now from daniel 9 27 we learn that at the three and a half year point halfway between the last seven years that's daniel's 70th week what's going to happen we're going to have something called the abomination that causes desolation this is going to spark the great tribulation and the Antichrist is going to claim that he's some sort of God and that he wants worship. At that time, it'll be the abomination that causes desolation. Luke 21 tells us that Israel will be surrounded by armies. We have all of these kind of pieces that we start to put together. And we have the second three and a half years, which we, we believe is the great tribulation there. And that time... As soon as they have finished, it will be, notice end of seven, shattering the power of the holy people. All these events will be completed. Now the holy people, I believe, still in context is Israel. And their power will be shattered. The Antichrist is going to be allowed to have some domination for a time. It will be given to him to shatter the power of thy holy people. Why? Because it seems to be their power <laughs> that needs to be shattered. Their self-reliance. Do you know right now, and you have to be impressed, you go to Israel today, man, they are such an incredibly self-reliant people. One of the things that you can do when you go to Israel is you go to Masada, and in Masada or on Masada, and you actually take a trolley car and it takes you all the way up to the top of Masada. And there they tell the story of a group of Jewish people who committed mass suicide as the Romans were coming up the backside of Masada to try to destroy them. 
and they committed mass suicide, but up there on top of the mountain is where, and everybody, by the way, serves at least two years of military service in Israel. It doesn't matter, male or female. You serve, you're going to be serving in the military. And you go up there and you make a commitment on top of Masada, and here's essentially what they say. Never again. And what they mean, my understanding, is that they will never allow the Holocaust to happen again as it happened at the hands of Nazi Germany. They will never allow it again. That's why you're even hearing today as Hamas and uh, they fire rockets into Israel, Israel's always responding in kind or in like. And it's, it can be very hard because we have Palestinians who are Christians in Israel. Uh, when we were in Israel, our guide was a Palestinian Christian. Our tour guide was a Palestinian believer. So the issues can be very complicated. Because we know we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we know uh, I will bless those who bless you. And we know those verses, but we have brothers and sisters who are actually Palestinian believers in Jesus Christ. And so this is where it's hard. But here's what happens. They get peppered with rockets and Israel has the, uh, that defense system, what's it called, the Iron Dome defense system. And, and then they fire back and then, you know, there's blame and stuff going back and forth. And this, this, is, this is what's going on. And at some point in this unfolding of time, the power of thy holy people is going to be shattered. It, it, it's going to be overcome. They're going to have to rely upon God's power and not theirs. It's not a bad place to be, but it's a very uncomfortable place to be. Paul said, I had the thorn in my flesh, and I prayed three times that the Lord would remove it. And the Lord said, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in what? In weakness. It's the power of weakness. So contra everything that we learn in our world, right? About self-reliance and all of that stuff. And so the power of thy holy people will be shattered. The, uh, just for your notes, write down Revelation 10, 4 through 6, where you'll see another picture of Jesus uh, who is raising his hands and I believe uh, there it may say, well, let's go over there. Tell you what, hold your place. Go over to Revelation 10. Let me show you this comparison, and then I want to make an application that I hope will warm your heart. This is Revelation 10. Look at verse 4. Revelation 10, 4 says, When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it, the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it. God made everything, not evolution, not a big bang. God made it. And there shall be a delay no longer. And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. You see, it will be at this time when there will be, verse 6, Revelation 10, 
No more delay. The angel raises his right hand. Here in Daniel, it's both hands being raised to heaven and there's language of an oath. Go back to Daniel 12, 7. Look at it again. It says, He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. What do you think in oath language the, the oath was? I think it's something like this. This is going to happen. And I am going to be true to my word. Because this is where we need assurance. Because we look at things sometimes and we have questions as Christians, right? Where is this world headed? Is the book of Revelation really going to come to pass? Is the book of Daniel really going to come to pass? And right here in the midst of the final chapter, if you will, the, the one above the waters raises up his hands in oath type of positioning and language and swears by him who lives forever and ever and essentially says, yes, you can take this to the bank. It is true. This will come to pass. And if you're reading this and you're living in the end times and you see that, you're, you take heart because you've anchored your whole life and your future in this being reality. And you get a word of promise here, an oath. God can swear by nobody higher, so he swears by himself. This is going to happen. There's going to be a three and a half year time that's going to be very hard. It's going to shatter the power of thy holy people. Verse 8. As for me, Daniel says, Daniel 12, 8, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? What's going to happen to my people? Daniel might say something like this. If the power of my people is going to be shattered, if my people are going to be broken, how does the story end? Will the Antichrist win? Will darkness prevail? I mean, isn't that really the, the history of every story? Every good story is a battle between good and evil, right? And sometimes when you're engrossed in a movie about good and evil... And I can't help but think of the Lord of the Rings movies when, remember Gandalf is out on the ledge and those terrible armies are coming of, what is it, the, the org, are they the orcs, those ugly dudes? And they're, roof, roof. <laughs> they're coming like, <laughs> scary looking beasts, man. And these, you know, short little hobbits <laughs> trying to even look over the wall. I'm afraid. What's going to happen? Nobody would choose to live in a time like this. But this is the time, Gandalf says, paraphrasing, that you've been placed in. So, stand your ground. Be of good cheer. We know how the story ends. Some of us have had to face that at cemeteries. We see there's a hole in the ground and there's a loved one's body that's gone there and we say, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, but am I going to see that person again? Are they really going to rise or is this the end of the story? Does death win? Does death have the final say? And Jesus says, no, it doesn't. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I'll teach you about it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, he will he'll live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then the question, do you believe this? Apparently, God puts a high value on faith. What's going to happen to my people? You know, you, you look at the culture right now, you look at society, and you begin to ask some big questions. You look at the church, and you, you know, there's people who say, is the church being salt and light? Is the light of the church waning in our culture? Is the secular humanistic message winning the day? You look at college campuses, you look at what's happened to our world, and you can ask those questions. And an oath is made, I think, to give us hope. And he said, go your way, Daniel, verse 9, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. They are locked up in the vault of God's omnipotence and God's sovereignty. Essentially, don't worry about it now, Daniel. The words, words are sealed up. It's going to be for a future time. It's going to be for the time of the end. The message will be of the utmost importance for that, importance for that time, but not now. The primary purpose of Revelation was to inform those who live in the time of the end. And so, look at verse 9. Daniel, you go your way. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's older, he won't what? Depart from it. Daniel, go your way. How old is Daniel at this time? Probably late 80s to 90. He doesn't have much more time on the planet. So the angel could tell him, you go your way. This, this is not going to apply to your lifetime. Daniel, go your way. Do you know what your way is? Do you know the way that God has laid out for you to live? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know that the famous verse in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, is his bent, his giftedness, his call from God. As parents, we are supposed to not create cookie cutters. We're supposed to discover the way that that child has been shaped by God and encourage them in that way in the way that they should go. Always, of course, under the umbrella of serving God, but in the giftedness to which God has called them. That's what we have to discover. First, we have to discover what our way is. Amen? Then we need to pass it on to them and say, you use your gifts to follow God, but go your way. If you haven't discovered what your spiritual gifts are, you can do that. What do you feel a tug toward? Where do you have a passion? Where, when you serve in a certain area, do other people say, you know what? You're called to this, man. I can see gifts in you that, you know, when you do this particular thing, people respond. When you do this certain thing, you're good at it. That's probably your way. And the only thing you have to do is go. And that 
is perhaps the biggest challenge. Who was it, the clash that said, saying, should I stay or should I go now? If I go, it will be trouble. If I stay, it will be double. <laughs> so come on and let me know. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. Sometimes we stay because we think it'll keep us out of trouble. Oh, I don't know. How many, how many, how many people in the scriptures that God says, uh, okay, it's time, it's go time, and they say, oh, no, 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 Lord. Here I am, Lord, send him. Here I am, Lord, send her. You have the wrong address. I'm of the least of the families of Corona. Don't you know I'm not good at public speaking? Duh. Lord, can I inform you about my, my weaknesses? No, I've got the right guy. I've got the right gal. I'm calling you. See, the problem is, sometimes we don't want to go. We don't want to just say, Lord, okay, if you are calling me, then you will equip me to do what you've called me to do, so I'm going to go, wherever that means, whatever that means. For some of you, it means go into that Sunday school room and actually teach Sunday school. But those little kids are so scary. I know. But you'll have a helper in the classroom. And we try to get big, muscular guys. I'm just kidding. I don't even know what... We could use guys, Chloe. They, they could go into the classroom. Do you know, how, are most of your Sunday school teachers male or female? They're female. You have two men teaching Sunday school. Hmm. That's all I have to say about that. You see, in verse 10, moving out of application to the end times, Many will be purged, purified, and, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight, you can write down chapter 12, verse 3 there, will understand. You see, when the power of the holy people is shattered, three things will happen, New American Standard. Yeah, it's a little different in some of the versions. Many will be purged. It means to be purified, probably through a process. The second word is purified, which means to be made spotless, NIV. Be made white or cleansed, ESV. Cleansed, New Living Translation. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be what? White as snow. And refined, which means to smelt, to fuse, to prove in the fire, to test. Why does God allow troubling times sometimes so that we have no power and no strength left? So that we will be purged, purified, and refined. And it's, sun, and it's hot in the fire. And it's uncomfortable in the fire. And when God's scraping away the dross in my life, ow! <laughs> no, don't touch that spot again! <laughs> Why does God allow this trouble as Israel is the focal point so that there will be a purging, a purifying, and a refining. Why does God allow trouble times in my life so that there will be a purging, a purifying, and a refining? 
Why does God put certain difficult people into my life? So that there will be a purging, a purifying, and a refining. (laughs) See, this is where the change comes. In the everyday stuff of life. It's where he purges us of junk, purifies us, and refines us. Look at Daniel 11.35. Similar language when it says, and some of those who have insight will fall, Daniel 11.35, in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time. Because it is still to come at the appointed time. There will be those, Daniel 12.10, who understand and in their understanding, they will, they will get insight, and that seems to be a big part of what's going on here, that they will see God for who He is. You know, when you get purged and purified and refined, it's usually so that you can see things through God's perspective. See, what He's trying to get out of you, and I mean out of you, is self. What He's scraping away is selfishness. What He's purifying is all those rough edges. you got to melt them away so you can see him, so you can understand him, so you can say like, Job, I heard about you before, but now I see you. I'm going to be quiet now. You talk, I'll listen. And when that happens to you, God is making you a vessel fit for the master's use. That's why James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And it has a result that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. But there will be people, 12.10, who even though they're in the midst of the fire, will not understand, they will not see... The wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. Those who have insight will understand. Those who have their eyes open to the ways of God will understand. And this applies in our day as well. But the wicked will continue to act wickedly, and they will not get it. They will not understand. It will be the time of Jacob's trouble. And those who are written in the book of life will be rescued. Remember Jesus told the story about the ten virgins? Five were wise, five were foolish. Five had uh, oil for their lamps and five had no oil. And on that day, when they knock at the door, they say, let us in, let us into the wedding feast. And the master opens the door and says, depart from me, I never knew you. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week, we've already established the abomination of desolation, where he stops the regular sacrifice Uh, offering in the temple, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be what? 1,290 days. Now, just when we thought we had the 1,260 down, now there's 1,290 days, which is three and a half years plus another month, another 30 days. Why do we have an extra 30 days? Well, there's all kinds of ideas as to why, but let me give you the two primary ones that I think it is. I think it is the extra 30 days are going to be a time for national mourning in Israel and national cleansing. Get this. 
In Deuteronomy 34, 8, the sons of Israel wept for Moses after he died in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Deuteronomy 34, 8. In Numbers 20, 29, when all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, the first high priest of Israel, Moses' brother, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days. I believe that what's going to happen is that there's going to be a time of national mourning in Israel for a month. And it may go, it may be in uh, commensurate with a time of cleansing as well. Here's another interesting thing. In Israel, they had an alternate day for the Passover. If you were unclean, coming from foreign lands, defiled under Jewish law, away on a journey, an alternate date for the Passover was provided. And it was 30 days later than the normal date of the Passover lamb being slain. Sometimes when we go through something and God opens our eyes and we realize we've been wrong, we've seen something wrong, all we can do is mourn and cry. And when we do, sometimes there's no comfort. Sometimes you just have to get it out. You just have to cry. You just have to mourn. And, you know, sometimes when you go through a loss and there's, you know, there's no perfect formula on grieving something, you just have to allow yourself to grieve, and that can be the hardest thing. And so Israel's going to go through a time of national mourning because they're going to see that for all this time, they rejected their Messiah. Can you imagine the regret that's going to be in the nation of Israel when they see the Lord Jesus coming on the clouds with power and great glory and think of how many households have mocked his name in Israel for thousands of years? Saying he can't be the Messiah, he's a would-be Messiah. And now they see him coming with nail prints in his hands and his feet? Imagine the regret. Now, this is where you need to turn to the book of Zechariah. We're winding down, but I want to show you. This is to your right. It's the second to the last book before you hit the New Testament, right? You got Zechariah and then Malachi. Look at Zechariah 12. Now, Zechariah describes this time of the end when he says these words. This is Zechariah 12. Look at verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, Zechariah 12.10, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadad-Draman in the plain of Megiddo. And the land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, the wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi, and so forth. And all the families that remain, 14, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Go to chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, a fountain will be opened up for the house of David, figuratively, that's Israel. And for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. A cleansing, if you will. 
And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. They will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit. Those 30 days probably serve for a time of cleansing, mourning and cleansing and preparation for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Daniel and we'll finish. And so, as Daniel's summing up the book, he tells us about this 30 days. He tells us about the cries in Israel. And then he says in verse 12, how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the, what? <laughs> 1,335 days. Now we got another 45 days. What in the world's going on with that? Well, here's the interesting thing, and it comes from uh, an author named Marv Rosenthal, and he says these words. Let me see if I can find it in my notes. He says, from the time of the Day of Atonement on the Jewish calendar, from the time of Yom Kippur, okay, we all know that's one of the fall feasts, the Day of National Atonement for Israel. You can tie that to the return of Jesus Christ. Remember you have the... Um, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the, uh, what's the final one in the fall? With the tents, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Three feasts in the fall. They, uh, scholars believe that Jesus' second coming aligns with the fall feast. So think about October time frame, okay? Little, we're a little past it right now. You have the Day of Atonement for Israel. You have the Feast of Trumpets. Jesus is going to come with the trumpet blast the day of atonement and then you have tabernacles when god dwells among his people so at the first coming jesus fulfilled the spring feast at the second coming he's going to fulfill the fall feast there'll be a atoning sacrifice if you will a cleansing of israel and god will dwell among his people from the feast of yom kippur to hanukkah according to this author is 75 days. Now get this. It's the 30 days we just read about plus 45 equals 75 from the Day of Atonement, one of the fall feasts, to Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the feast of cleansing and rededication of what? The temple. Now think about it. What will have to happen in Israel when all this stuff goes down? The Antichrist does his business. Jesus comes and rescues his people and there's a cleansing of the land. What will have to happen then? A rebuilding. A rededication. A recommitment to the things of God, especially for the people of Israel. You see, whenever something goes amiss in your life, when maybe God breaks the power of self-reliance in your life, you have to go through a rededication, a cleansing and rededication process. Ever been there before? Ever been in a situation where the rubble was all around you, but you realized that God is using this season to rebuild and start over again? And it may be that you made some personal decisions that caused rubble in your life, or somehow something happened, and the Lord came in and rescued you. Your eyes were finally opened to who Jesus is amidst the rubble, and you had to go through a cleansing period and a rededication period. You had to come to know your God and let Him rebuild your life now on that one foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? 
I think this is all of our stories as Christians. And Israel's going to go through this. And it says, How blessed is he who attains to the 1335 days, 1,335 days, the extra 75, you can see the connection. And finally, but as for you, back to Daniel, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion when? At the end of the age. This man who is greatly beloved by God, greatly loved in heaven, would die. He would enter into his rest and he is going to rise again at the resurrection. And what's he going to get? His allotted portion, his reward at the end of the age. What kind of reward do you think Daniel's going to get? I think Daniel's going to be rocking in the millennial. Don't you? This is a guy who took some strong stands for God. I think Daniel's going to have a prominent position when Jesus rules and reigns. And Daniel's entered into his rest because to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. I was listening to Alistair Begg preach in, uh, in, in this position, uh, and I know we all deal with it, but perhaps more for pastors. Uh, we deal with a fair amount of death and uh, sickness. And so you end up in situations where you're with people and uh, a lot of prayer has gone up and people are leaning into the promises of God and that's a good thing. And we should always be trusting in the Lord and placing our faith in Christ. But here's the thing. Christians die. Faithful followers of Christ die. Daniel died. David died. Jonah died. Joshua, Moses. I could go on and on. Peter and John and James. You know, church, uh, famous people in church history that you've read biographies about died. And Begg said, uh, I think it was of uh, Richard Baxter, said one of the jobs of a pastor is to teach his people how to die well. Not a pleasant thought, I know, but there it is. You see, we, it's appointed unto a man to live, or to live and to die once, and then comes what? The judgment. So we, we, we live in a generation right now that is really almost a death-denying culture, right? We don't want to deal with it. We want to hear about it. And even in faith circles, oh, you're only sick because you, you didn't have enough faith. or what? No, look, we live in a fallen world, man. <laughs> but our hope is in Jesus Christ. Because Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if I ask you, for to me to live is, fill in the blank, what would the blank be? For to me to live is, and we're not going to ask you, we're going to ask the people who know you the best. To him or to her, to live is football, golf, 
I don't want to leave you ladies out. Shopping. <laughs> right? But if you can say, to me, to live is Christ, then you could say, and to die is gain. And Daniel would enter into his rest and rise again. Daniel's going to rise again at the resurrection and get an allotted portion at the end of the age. Job said it for all of us. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see him.